when we're speaking specifically about active individuals, I think underfueling is a serious problem. Again, particularly for females, I think we've been unfairly handed a bad card from diet culture. But um, it's something that is also driven a lot by some of the gyms I find as well, is that this notion of exercise as much as you can, eat as little as you can. And that's just so counterintuitive when it comes to our health, our well-being, both physically and mentally. Like it's not going to result in you building, you know, the best muscle mass, you having the best form. It's not going to result in you having the most energy. All of these sorts of things that we associate with like vitality and health and well-being by eating as little as possible, we're not going to get there. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we have candid chats about all aspects of well-being so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebelagen. Are you eating enough? That's the question we're asking in today's episode, which is all about fueling your body and mind. Our guest is Marika Day, an accredited practicing dietitian and a nutritionist, as well as the force behind Fueled, a new online nutrition and wellbeing platform in partnership with AIA Australia. In this catch up with our managing editor, Alex Davies, Marika reveals the surprising signs that you might not be eating enough, the power of small changes that all stack up, and how to fuel yourself to thrive through workdays, workout, and everything in between. So, Marika Day, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me back. I know we were just saying for anyone listening, um, just before starting recording, that Marika was one of my absolute first ever guests back on this podcast a few years ago. We talked all about gut health. And yeah, so it was so fantastic. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes if anyone wants to go and revisit that. But it's so, so good to have you back on here again. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here and speaking about something different. Well, that's it, because today we're going to talk about underfueling in a nutrition perspective and making sure that we're actually eating enough to fuel our days. And I just love to start with what are you kind of seeing in that sense, I guess, you know, with clients or maybe on social media? You know, is this an issue? Yeah, I definitely think it is. And more so than people sort of give it credit. I think when we think of the word fueling or underfueling, we immediately jump to like athletes and people who are really active and sporty. But the reality is because of, I guess, a culture that's taught women to constantly try and make their body smaller, we have become so obsessed with eating as little as possible. And it's becoming to the point where, you know, we're obviously, you know, seeing a massive rise in eating disorders and not only just eating disorders, but disordered eating where we're becoming so hyper-focused on what we should and shouldn't eat and what's good and what's bad. Obviously, there's many factors, but a lot of it comes down to this focus on how can we eat as little as possible. That's it. Because I was thinking as well about this, something I think we often, we don't even realize we're doing. Like I've worked with a nutritionist in the past and I remember her saying, oh yeah, you need to eat more, more of this and more of this. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't even realize that maybe I wasn't eating enough. And I feel like I've heard experts and people say the same, that it can be also something that we're not even aware that we're actually doing. Definitely. It's it's very much an um, unconscious thing for a lot of people. And a really good way of sort of, I guess, teasing it out and sort of bringing it to the conscious is like, how often do you sort of compare products and go, okay, well, what's a lower calorie option? Or how often are you like, oh, I'll just have a tiny bit of that or I'll only have a little bit. And that is all of this like subconscious, just trying to eat as little as possible or eat as low calorie as possible is ultimately what the game is, I think, there. 
Yeah, that's it. Because you mentioned this idea of the subconscious as well. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what are some of the factors that are driving this issue, do you think? And do you think part of it is around like awareness of how much we need to eat to function and to thrive? And, you know, what are some of the factors you think are going on? Yeah, like obviously we're all so busy these days, so it's hard to sort of get on top of our nutrition and our life and work and children and all of the stresses. All the things. <laughs> There's so much in our lives. So nutrition is obviously just another one of those things. But to be honest, I believe that the core of this problem has come like from diet culture. And that I guess ultimately stems from like this cultural and socially constructed belief that thinness equals health and being thin or smaller means that you're going to be healthy and happy or, you know, superior in some way. And that's a, a phenomenon that we've had for, you know, many, many years. And what I guess diet culture and what that message is specifically showing has changed a little bit over the years, you know, it changed with trends and whatnot, but ultimately that's sort of the thing that's underpinning this and this sort of belief that we need to control the way that our bodies look in this world. And in particular, this is the bit that really irks me, is it is really driven by like how we are seen to the male gaze. Absolutely. So I definitely say diet culture is a feminist issue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, yeah, that's the thing driving this issue, whether you're conscious of it or not, I think. A hundred percent. And that's, I feel like with diet culture is the big thing is that it's something that we are so ingrained in and that we are so like taught from a very young age that the way we look is kind of like what we are worth and that we are worth more if we're in a smaller body, which is so not true. I wondered if you could share with me some of the signs that we might not be eating enough during a day whether we're consciously trying to or not, you know, what might we notice or feel both physically and mentally, I guess, if we're not fueling our bodies in the best way? Yeah, it's a great question because, I mean, the obvious is like if you're hungry, <laughs> but then there's so much more subtle ways you can do it. And particularly if you've been restricting your intake for a very long period of time. So our bodies are quite intelligent and they adapt to the circumstances that we sort of put them in. And that's, I guess, how we've survived as a human race. So if we chronically restrict our intake, then our body will actually start to like turn down the hunger hormones so that we don't feel as hungry. And that again, is just a survivability sort of adapted mechanism that we have as humans. So some other signs might be that you're feeling tired and lethargic. You might be more injury prone or, you know, really lacking energy when it comes to the gym or doing any sort of physical activity. But one of the most common things that I see with people under fueling is a binge eating or overeating, particularly in the evening, because by the time we've got to the end of the day, we've sort of, I guess, lost a bit of that, not willpower, but we've lost that, uh, the way I call it is decision fatigue. You know, we've made so many decisions throughout the day, whether it be from work, children, life, whatever it is, that we get to the end of the day and we sort of lose that strength to make decisions that we feel are best for us and they're not necessarily best for you <laughs> from what I'm saying. But what happens is then at the end of the day, people are unconsciously hungry and then end up binging or overeating at the end of the day because they haven't eaten enough during the day. That's it. Because like you say, it gets into so many different areas of our lives from the physical to the mental as well. Because then I imagine, you know, even just from a day where I feel like maybe, you know, and it's like a simple thing, but maybe I've had lunch a bit later than usual. You do feel it in your brain fog or your mood and you know energy and things like that so even just a I feel like a day can make a difference in terms of your energy and your drive and work life all the things right 
Yeah. One of the other things people always say to me is like, I can't be under fueling my body because I'm not losing weight. And if I wasn't losing weight, then I must be eating too much. And the way I get people to look at it is to think about, well, okay, you might not be eating, like you said, like for the entire of the day, you might not be fueling your body and that's having consequences at other parts of the day. So what I said before is that you might not be eating, you know, breakfast or lunch properly. And then by the time it comes to dinner, you're so hungry that you're eating everything that you can see or you're ordering takeout because you just need the fastest, quickest thing available. So ultimately it might not actually change your weight. You might even be gaining weight, but when we think about it from a nutrition perspective, you're probably still not fueling your body properly because you're restricting it all day and then getting in heaps in the you know that one time period. And then you mentioned about becoming more potentially more injury prone, and I'd love to ask you about that. Yeah, kind of the long term, I guess, repercussions of you know whether it's eating much too little or even just eating that bit too little that we're not fueling our bodies correctly. You know, what kind of things are going on? Yeah, you were saying about being injury prone and then there are other kind of long-term kind of impacts of that. Yeah, so being injury prone is definitely one that we see significantly increase when you are under fueling. And this does tie back to people who are obviously quite active, but then even so people who are not overly active, if you're not fueling your body and getting in that balance of nutrients, then obviously you're going to fall deficient in some of those nutrients. So one of those key ones being calcium and it does lead to brittle bones. And I know it's not something that, you know, people around our age, sort of like in your thirties want to talk about, but osteoporosis is something that we're actually seeing happen younger and younger. And I've known many people now to be getting diagnosed with osteoporosis in their twenties or thirties, which was previously considered a condition that most people would get after their 60s and it's from not eating enough of the right nutrients that's so interesting because you're right it's something I feel like it's like a few different health issues that we kind of think oh we'll we'll think about that when we're a little bit older or in a few decades time and actually laying the groundwork and the foundation now is so important but the fact that it's impacting people at our age as well that's so interesting Yeah. And again, it comes down to this diet culture messaging that we should be cutting out or excluding certain food groups. And I think that's, I guess, probably another really important point when we're talking about underfueling. Sometimes it's not necessarily about eating too little, but it's about how are you being restrictive in your diet and how is that impacting you physically and mentally? So it might just be that, you know, you are cutting out a whole food group that's then either psychologically making you feel restricted or physiologically, like it's not giving you the energy that you need to get through the day. But I think it's really important to think about underfueling in restriction and how that is impacting in your day-to-day life and obviously, again, your long-term health as well. That's actually such a great point. That's so true about not necessarily, it's about the amount, but also what you might be restricting. And when you mentioned about whole food groups, what kind of is there a particular one that you see that is a particular issue in this kind of area? So dairy has always been the one that people hate on. I feel like that's consistent across the board. It doesn't matter where you sort of go, what sort of nutrition beliefs and groups you go into, it's the one that's the most consistently hated. And it is, and again, I don't think that you have to eat every food. You know, it's obviously personal opinions and whatnot. And I'm very supportive of people who follow, you know, vegan diets or plant-based diets. 
But I think it's really important to also know that when we look at the breadth of the research, that something like dairy is actually not contributing to disease and it is actually quite nutrient dense and beneficial for us and an amazing source of calcium. So a lot of people are quick to sort of move aside from these sorts of foods when they actually are really beneficial for us. And again, it doesn't mean that you have to have it. But if you're not having it, then you need to be looking at other ways to get in those really key nutrients like calcium into your diet. Mm, Yeah, especially like you say, because there has been a rise in people interested in plant-based diets. And so it's just about making sure that anything that maybe you are cutting out in that sense that you're getting the nutrients elsewhere from other sources. Yeah. And I think plant-based diets is a really good example of like that potential to unconsciously underfuel because you are cutting out a significant portion of foods available to you. And that's totally okay. But you need to make sure that then you're putting in that strategic effort and planning to go, okay, well, how am I going to get in these nutrients and how am I going to meet my requirements now that I've removed this large portion of you know products from my diet? So I'd love to ask you, so if we think, or if anyone listening thinks that they might not be eating enough, how can we start to remedy that? I guess, where would you start if a client came to you in that position? Yeah. So I think for me, I'm very much of a small steps kind of person. So taking the the smallest step possible towards your goal, rather than thinking about how can I be perfect tomorrow? And this is a big thing that we talk about on my field platform is making really realistic and achievable steps towards your goal, rather than thinking about that perfectionism, which ultimately leads us to failure. And so what I typically get people to think about is, Firstly, what is it that you value when it comes to your health and well-being? Is it the way that you look or is it feeling energized or is it feeling that, you know, you can live until your, you know, late 80s and run around with your children and grandchildren and those sorts of things? Like what are your actual values when it comes to your health and how can you be moving in a direction towards them rather than away from them? even if it challenges what we've been taught from like a social like constructs position. So whether it's what we see in the media or what we see in social media, what you might need to do and what's best for you might not be what you see online. Okay. So it's a a mindset thing as the first step. 100%. Because I think with nutrition, people think that they can do it perfectly yesterday. And I think there's this pressure and expectation that you can and should be able to. And I got a really good analogy for this, which is that if you were to step into the gym for the first time, you know, never been to the gym before, you often wouldn't go in and put, you know, a hundred kilos on a barbell and try and squat it. You know, you'd start and go, okay, well, what's in my limits? You know, how do I do a body weight squat? And you do that. If you did do the barbell squat with a hundred kilos on it, you're probably going to hurt yourself and you're probably going to go, okay, well, I'm going to rein it right back in and I'm going to go back and learn the body weight squat. But when it comes to nutrition, we have this expectation that we should do the 100 kilo squat. So we should have the perfect diet today. And we go in with that mindset that, you know, on Monday, I'm going to eat this for breakfast, this for lunch and this for dinner. And it's completely different to what you might have been doing, you know, in the previous months, years, decades even. And we beat ourselves up so much that we haven't been perfect. But if we apply that same philosophy to any other area of life, we can see how hard we're being on ourselves with that mindset. That's such a good analogy. It's so it's so true, isn't it? I feel like with nutrition is one area that we always try to make these kind of big changes all at all at once kind of thing, all on all on Monday, you know? All always Monday. And that's what 
I guess is probably one of the things that frustrates me most as a dietitian because I, I also understand that people want to be feeling good and to be making as much change as they can as quickly as they can. Like I totally get that desire to want to be better and want to feel better as soon as possible. But when we look at it over a longer period of time, you're actually going to achieve better results, whatever that looks like for you. So whether it's stronger bones or more muscle mass or less fat or whatever it is for you, it's actually going to be more likely that you're going to achieve it over a longer period of time if you do it slowly than if you were to do it super quickly. Because again, if you're going to injure yourself in the gym, it's going to mean that you're going to have time out of the gym. And the same goes for you know, nutrition. If you feel like you failed, it actually gives you a knock to your confidence, which then when you go into the next time of going, okay, well, I'm going to eat a bit healthier this week. You don't feel as confident within yourself to be able to make those changes because you think, oh, well, I've tried so many times before. Absolutely. And then when it comes to the nutrition side of how we might start. So in that case, do you kind of almost advise people to take take one thing at a time in terms of actually a nutrition change or a food change? And then we add this food in and then we maybe do that next step. You know, is it about waking, making one food or nutrition change at a time? Yeah. So I actually think one of the best ways to start with this is to think about one meal at a time. And so going, okay, well, what is the easiest meal for me to make a positive change in and what is that positive change because that positive change might be different for everyone so for someone it might be adding more vegetables for somebody else it might be trying to increase their calories because they're not you know eating enough throughout the day so it could be very different for everyone but going which meal am I going to focus on first so it could be breakfast it could be lunch or it could be your snacks you know whatever it is and going okay this week I'm going to focus on that and that only and it doesn't mean that you eat McDonald's for every other meal of the week. It just means that you're not putting in the energy and the effort for every single meal of every single day. It's just knowing your one thing that you need to do that week. And when you feel confident with that one thing, when you feel like you're like, oh yeah, like this is, this is good. And that might take a week. It might take a month. It might take however long it takes you. Then you go, okay, let's do the next thing. And that next thing then might be another meal or it might be, you know, your snacks or whatever it is that your next step is for you. And I honestly think this applies to many health conditions as well. Obviously, like something I've got celiac disease and that is a situation where you do have to overhaul everything overnight. But there is still many health conditions where, you know, taking this stepwise approach can be really beneficial in creating that long-term change and that behavior change that you know is going to last. And then you mentioned a meal at a time and and you mentioned breakfast and that's something I wanted to ask you about because I think... I mean, I love my breakfast, but I know, for example, my sister, it's never, she doesn't feel like a breakfast, a breakfast person, like, so to speak. And she doesn't, she struggles to kind of have her morning meal sometimes. And I think breakfast can be a bit of a tricky one for some people, especially if we're in a rush or we start work early or don't feel hungry. And I wondered what your advice is when it comes to eating in the morning, because I guess that really can make the difference in terms of setting ourselves up for a day that we're thriving through. Absolutely. And I think breakfast is a really interesting one and a good example of how different nutrition can be for everyone because everyone wants it to be black and white and really straightforward and be like, we have to have breakfast or having breakfast is bad for you and makes you gain weight. And the reality is that some people will be fine without a breakfast, whereas other people will need a breakfast. And the best way I feel like for people to work that out for themselves is how hungry are you in the morning? And if you aren't having breakfast in the morning, how is that impacting you later in the day? 
So an example of this might be is you say, well, I'm not hungry in the morning, but then by the time it gets to lunchtime or early afternoon or later in the evening, you're starving and you're finding yourself, you know, unable to control yourself around food. My number one suggestion would be to introduce a breakfast so that you're actually shifting your calorie load, your intake of the day earlier and starting to spread that out. And it's going to do wonders for your satiety. So how full you're feeling throughout the day. Whereas there's other people out there who cannot eat breakfast and just quite happily go on about their day and have their rest of their meals and, you know, get in enough nutrients and everything through the rest of their meals and it's not a problem for them. So I think it's very individualized when it comes to breakfast. And I'm definitely not in a camp that, you know, you have to have breakfast. I mean, I'm like you and I have to have breakfast. (laughs) So I definitely am team breakfast. But for everyone, it's really hard to sit there and say like black and white, you have to have breakfast. I wondered if, and I know you're not, I don't think you're a huge fan of the the day on a plate kind of approach, but I wondered if you had any ideas for maybe a structure perhaps of how we could look at breakfast if we do want to have a breakfast in order to set ourselves up for, you know, energy and focus and a good start. Yeah, definitely. I think looking at like, what are the types of nutrients that we're getting in, not even just breakfast, in any meal and thinking about how can we ensure that there's some sort of protein in the meal. So that might be from eggs, it might be from, you know, yogurt, it might be from some sort of dairy product um, or it might be a protein powder even. And then thinking how can we add some sort of color or vegetable or fruit to it? So strawberries or spinach or whatever it is and some sort of fibrous carbohydrate. So, you know, rolled oats, grainy bread, those sorts of things there where we can get that really balanced approach to your meal and uh, think about all of those key food groups as well as some healthy fats in there. So the healthy fats, you know, from eggs or avocado or even like some seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds can be a really great way to sort of, I guess, build a healthy plate. That's it, the building blocks kind of thing. Yeah. And so I'd love to, yeah, I mean, I feel like you've shared so many tips already and I wanted to ask you about, you know, kind of guess practical advice and tips for making sure that we're fueling our bodies. And I wondered if maybe thinking about a work day, perhaps, you know, where where maybe it's more, you know, mentally uh, or brain taxing than perhaps our, you know, a chilled Sunday might be, you know, what nutrients or foods can be really helpful for fueling our focus and our, our brain power, I guess. Yeah. So I think with um, fueling our focus, one of the things is to be having some carbohydrates, but not having so much that we're getting into that like post-carbohydrate food coma where we need to go lie down and have a nap. And in particular, thinking about having carbohydrates alongside some protein or fats so that we are balancing that blood sugar response and we're not crashing in the afternoon. So that might be having carbohydrates firstly that are high in fiber. So it might be like brown rice or quinoa or some sort of whole grains or whole grain bread and having that alongside a source of protein, be it chicken, fish, eggs, tofu, uh, and a healthy fat as well, like avocado, or even just using extra virgin olive oil in your cooking. So making sure that you have got those building blocks there so that then you are ticking those key boxes, I guess, when it comes to your nutrients and it's giving you that energy throughout the day. The other thing I would suggest, and this is not necessarily, again, this is probably a bit mindset related, but one of the biggest things that I think can help people when it comes to, I guess, assessing their own diet throughout the day is to actually do a written food diary where you're writing down not just what you're eating. And it's not about judging yourself for, you know, beating yourself up for anything you're eating. It doesn't actually matter what you've eaten. It's about going, okay, what did I eat? And how was I feeling at the time? 
So it's kind of like a food and mood diary or journal. And then what you can do is look at it at the end of the day and sort of tee together. Okay, well, when I was eating that, I was feeling this, or when I hadn't eaten this, I felt like that. And you're able to then, I guess, be a bit more intuitive with yourself in a more reflective way. So one of the things a lot of people struggle with, with intuitive eating is that how do I stay present and how do I make these decisions around what I'm feeling at the time? But it can be really helpful to look back on the day in that reflective manner and then be able to sort of help you for the next day. And then what about a day where we are exercising? Because I guess that can have greater energy requirements than a day where we're not maybe working out or being active. What's your advice around making sure that we're fueling properly for an exercise session? Yeah, so I think it depends on how intense your exercise is and how much exercise you're doing. If you are doing, you know, just a like a Pilates class or you're in there for 30, 40 minutes, you probably don't need to do all that much different to a typical day. But if you're doing, you know, really heavy weight sessions or running or doing longer exercise, so, you know, an hour or greater, then it is really important that you think about firstly, how are you recovering from that session? So are you eating, you know, in the sort of half hour to hour after that to start to refuel your body, be it from a protein perspective, but also from a carbohydrate perspective so that you're restocking those glycogen stores in your body. So I think that in that case, that it's about having something relatively soon after exercising. A lot of people talk about this like post-exercising window, which is not strictly speaking, you don't have to have a protein shake in 10 minutes after you finish your workout or it's redundant. Um, but if you can eat something within like the hour afterwards that has a good source of protein in it, particularly if you are doing strength training or if you are trying to improve your recovery or improve your um, your strength, all those sorts of things, having something with protein in it in that sort of recovery window can be really useful. I remember actually interviewing um, a recovery specialist for this podcast a few episodes ago, and she said that nutrition is just one of the absolute biggest pillars of recovery, like more than people think. Like said the same as you, just actually making sure we're eating enough around our exercise to support that recovery. Hundred percent. I think this is. When we're speaking specifically about active individuals, I think underfueling is a serious problem. Again, particularly for females, I think we've been unfairly handed a bad card from diet culture. But um, it's something that is also driven a lot by some of the gyms. I find as well is that this notion of exercise as much as you can, eat as little as you can, and that's just so counterintuitive when it comes to our health, our well-being, both physically and mentally. Like it's not going to result in you building, you know, the best muscle mass, you having the best form. It's not going to result in you having the most energy. All of these sorts of things that we associate with like vitality and health and well-being by eating as little as possible, we're not going to get there. Because like you say, it impacts so many areas of our life, you know, it'll impact your performance in your workout, but then you're work day, how you shop, you know, for the people you love and things. It's, you know, it kind of gets into everything, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think for most people, we are starting to see like this rise of disordered eating where we are becoming obsessive about what we can and what we should or shouldn't be eating. Orthorexia is a term that, you know, is thrown about quite a bit at the moment. And I do believe that it, it stems from this fear of actually adequately fueling our bodies. 
I was going to ask you about this, actually. So, you know, what's your advice if someone listening to this is feeling concerned, I guess, about themselves or someone they know and how much they're eating? I wondered, you know, what would you suggest in terms of maybe seeking help or useful resources? Yeah, so I think if you're concerned about your individual situation or, you know, a family member or a friend, then speaking to a GP, a doctor, is a really good starting point because they will be able to sort of look into what are, I guess, the medical circumstances around that. Because when we are talking about underfueling, we're talking on a very wide spectrum from, you know, anorexia where it's, you know, life threatening to minor energy drops throughout the day. So it can be a very big spectrum. So I think if there is some concerns there, then absolutely speaking to your GP and they might, you know, give you a referral to see a dietitian. But otherwise, my, I'm going to plug myself here and say that our fuel platform is an incredible resource for helping you to learn how to fuel your body. And I'd love to know if there are any sort of myths or misconceptions in this kind of space that you would love to clear up. Like what would you, what would you love for us all to know and really hold on to when it comes to yeah, fueling ourselves? A lot of people fear that they have to eat as little as possible or they have to eat in the way that they're eating to maintain their current body composition. And what a lot of people do find is that when they relax and they allow themselves to actually eat in a manner that is fueling them, that they have more energy to you know, go and do more things. And we actually see an uptick in your metabolism when you're eating more as well. But on the flip side, like I mentioned earlier, is we typically see you know, a downturn in binging and these sorts of behaviors as well. So a lot of the time there isn't actually a lot of change in body composition. And I'm going to go back to the point that I also mentioned earlier is that body composition is not the pinnacle of health. Like, you know, the way that you look does not ultimately determine how healthy you are. So I guess then it comes back to, well, (laughs) is looking a certain way what we should actually be trying to strive for? So I'd love to know also what's coming up next for you, coming up next for you, for the uh, platform. What can you share? Yeah, so we've um, partnered with AIA Vitality, which is really exciting. Um, And we've got some very exciting things coming up with them, integrating with their app that's coming out soon. Um, We've got a couple of uh, new meditations and recipes, and we're actually just about to add on to our site. So we've at the moment, all of our nutrition information is in video format, but we're about to add a massive blog onto the site with articles across all sorts of health and nutrition space. So we'll have a lot of nutrition articles there. So it's going to be like the, I guess the way I describe it is like the evidence-based, reliable, trustworthy Google of nutrition. <laughs> ah, brilliant. <laughs> and then on a personal note, Marika was telling me that she's actually yeah getting getting a dog next week, which is very, very exciting too. So lots coming up, right? Getting a dog and getting married next year as well. Oh my goodness. Oh, I didn't know that. Congratulations. That's brilliant news. Yeah, no, very exciting. Lots of um, lots of effort. <laughs> <laughs> lots of planning. I feel like we've spoken about so much today and you've shared so many pieces of advice. And but if you could only leave us just with one for those listening around few food, nutrition, fueling our bodies, you know, what would what would it be? What would you want to leave us on? I'm toying between two things that came up is one and, and this is going to sound counterintuitive to what I've said today, but dismiss everything that you hear about nutrition in like mainstream media and like social media, unless it's coming from me or somebody reputable. But like, honestly, what I find is that a lot of people get so torn into, you know, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. And, 
you know, this person told me that I have to eat that, but that person said I can't. Whereas if we remove all of that, like if we strip back all of that misinformation and clutter and noise that we hear about nutrition on a daily basis, and we think about what is healthy eating to me, like what is it? And every single time I've asked this to a person, regardless of their education level or whatever it is, nine times out of 10, the person can answer in a really healthy and balanced way. And I think one of the biggest problems when it comes to nutrition, and this is why Fueled is such a passion of mine, is that we are so confused and so clouded by misinformation that we can no longer make good judgment calls for ourselves because we don't trust ourselves anymore when other people have told us so many different things. So my two points, that's a very long-winded answer, but my two points are forget everything that you heard unless I've said it and um, (laughs) trust your body. Trust your body. That's brilliant. That's a great note to end on. Marika, thank you so, so much. Um, Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And um, can't wait to come back for the third. I was about to say that we'll get you back on for another episode in the future. Yes, if anyone has any ideas for topics or things they'd love to hear about in the nutrition space, uh, yeah, absolutely. Please let us know. We'll get Marika back on. So thanks so much. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted by Alex Davies and produced by me, Lisa Gebelagen, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of our latest issue with Tia Claire Toomey Orr on the cover, find it on newsstands or online via Apple News Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. If you or someone you know needs support around eating disorders and body image issues, visit butterfly.org.au or call 1-800-33-4673.